welcome to another episode of the Religion Prof Podcast. I am thrilled, really thrilled, to have the privilege of talking with uh, instrumentalist, composer, Butler graduate, Aaron Cody. Um, talk with him about his uh, music, want to talk with him about a very recent project, but just happy to have a chance to reconnect with a student from fairly early in my time at Butler, uh, going way back now, and to introduce his project and his music to a wider audience, I'm imagining. Uh, I imagine that there's at least one person listening to this uh, who has not already found his music and um, will enjoy doing so. And really just eager to reconnect and give others a chance to listen in as we do so. So Aaron, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's nice to see you on the, the video here. I know this is podcast is audio, but it's really nice to be in your presence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we might want to talk about you know, Zoom and music. Uh, as somebody who's involved in uh, church life, who's seen uh, his Sunday school class grow uh, since it's been on Zoom as people, not just people who couldn't always get there for the time that it started, but people in other parts of the country have uh, shown up. Uh, I kind of like Zoom. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but one thing that we can't do is uh, communal singing. And so we might want to come back to, uh, you know, Bible and music in the era of Zoom. But let's, first things first, you know, we, we met when you were a student at Butler. And so, you know, just talk about your, your time at Butler. What did you study at Butler? You know, uh, what classes did you take with me? Tell listeners, you know, how we, how we first connected before yeah, we get well, to the more recent stuff. First of all, it's amazing how I got to Butler. Um, I'm from Rhode Island and I had some friends that were in the recording industry from Telark Records. Um, and they, they have studios out in Ohio where they did at the time and they suggested that I get out of New England. And I got the chance to do that, broaden my horizons and, and grow uh, from a different perspective, um, which is the time to do it. I mean, as a student, you have the opportunity to get into the world and if you do it right, it can really shape, well, it, it's gonna shape your future anyway. <laughs> but um, so I got to Butler age 18 and I was, you know, really excited about all the musical opportunities. But at the time, they had the core curriculum, and I'm sure they still do, that inspired me in a different way. And so I ended up taking things that were in my interest, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. And um, yeah, I think for every teenager, young adult, you get to a point where you're just like, am I here because dad and mom told me to be here or am I here to explore? And this was a time to be a thousand miles away from home and find out, you know, why I love God, you know, and, and how to connect. And there were great moments and there were moments where I was not doing as well as I could have been, but those classes really opened my eyes. And so I ended up in, in changing tradition was I think the first uh, class I took with you. And I was actually just reading my notes about six months ago. I, I found my notebook. I kept, I kept so much stuff. Um, and so just talking about, I think one of the, the things that we were talking about was, was relationships in the Chinese tradition. And um, that was a really cool thing to review. And it, it let me know where I had succeeded and where I had not succeeded and you know in in terms of um how i relate to certain people and when you think that you've grown up beyond your own you get a sense of um self-confidence especially as a musician and there's a lot of like i did this which is one of the things that i'm trying to break through uh this project actually so um anyway so that inspired, I think we had a conversation one day, you were just like, hey, uh, you know, there's other classes that I think would really interest you. And I'm kind of sad I'm not there in 2020, because you have a Bible and music or music in the Bible class, which I would have absolutely taken. Um, but I got a lot of great opportunities to explore 
and, and ended up taking some classes with other professors to complete a minor, which I believe once again was something that um, you came and said, hey, you know, you're not that shy of getting some paperwork here, you know? And so <laughs> I, I did, and I really felt inspired. And that's one of the reasons I went to Butler in the first place was because John Crabiel, my percussion professor, who's nice. director of percussion there, um, he made the effort to call me and say, hey, I, I want you to work with me so that we can grow together. And I was baffled. It, it wasn't about, you know, who was giving the most scholarships. It was about who gave me the attention before I even got in the state. And so I was really happy with my experience there. Um, and I think that allowed me to see the world. And I think that's what those classes are for. That allowed me to see the world from beyond the perspective of Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. I, I don't know that I've mentioned this in any of our conversations. You may have seen it in like a Facebook post or something, but um, my son is now a, a student at Butler. Um, oh my goodness, so, you're almost like six. <laughs> I, yeah, well, you know, it's, <clears throat> and I, I was good. I was wondering whether you remember him, but you know, he's been having a great experience and, you know, really connected with the professors. He was, uh, you know, did things like taking music lessons through the Butler Community Arts School even before he came to Butler and so felt the connection to the place that wasn't just you know, coming to campus with that sort of connection, which doesn't, doesn't always lead to a, a deep, meaningful connection you know, for oneself as a student. You know, he felt like the, the music program, right, which is one of his majors, uh, really worked well for him and felt connected to it even before he, before he started. And so, yeah, and I've, I've loved teaching at Butler. I mean, I learned things teaching in the core curriculum it's fascinating, it's serendipitous that you know, just today, just this morning, just before we were recording this podcast, I was teaching a course in the core curriculum on Confucius, and we were talking about the five relationships, and we were you know, probably the same class that you had the notes from. Right. Uh, it's interesting, that, that class is one of the ones from the old core curriculum, you know, because core has since right. undergone revisions, we added some other uh, other parts of the world to that core curriculum requirement. Uh, so what was then changed in tradition became uh, global and historical studies, but trying to achieve much the same ends, uh, much the same aims. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's a place where I learned and where I was stretched to study as well as teach things that are really beyond my normal area of expertise because I started out in biblical studies, right? Yeah, and so I took, well, first of all, congrats on your son being a student there. I, I remember running into you and him at a recital for Butler Community Arts School. I had some students in. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you just told me music is one of his majors, that's what I would expect from your son is that he has more than one major because, you know, comes from a brilliant family there. Um, so one of the things that I took with me and we had, let's see, we did gospel of John together, I think, and possibly religion and science. I feel like that's a okay. class that yeah. you would have taught that I would have been in. Um, and then I, I took some other, other courses as well. One was the, the book of Psalms, which you did not teach, but, um, I was only in it because you had inspired me to continue in that um, that program. And I did a, a course about religion and conflict in Southeast Asia, which you also did not teach. And I'm sure there were a couple others, um, but I ran into you more. And I, and as a student, you know, going from high school into college, you don't always know what to expect. And so for me, there is this, this like, okay, now that I've had this teacher, you know, that was freshman year and then you move on to sophomore year and in college um you can have the same teachers over and over and over again and i think there was a sense of which teachers do i want to study with as well as which classes do i want to take and so that was a really great experience to be able to say i know that i can learn from this person and i know that they understand me or they're willing to get by some of my stupidity you know <laughs> and and work with me to to help me mature um, now we had talked again a couple years after, um, so I went off, I did my, my master's at Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and got a music degree there. 
in performance. And then I got back to Rhode Island because it's kind of a nice place. And if, if you haven't been to Rhode Island, um, you know, people can make fun of it for being small and they sure did, but uh, I can walk to the beach. So there you go. Um, <laughs> the, when I got back here, I was all excited about orchestra work and everything. And there's not really the same circuit here that there was in the Midwest. Um, so I ended up doing a lot of jazz work and then I landed a gig on a cruise ship, which if you're familiar with Jordan Jazz, which I'm sure you must be at Butler, um, Dr. Brimmer had lined us up for a cruise in the Caribbean. We went and performed there. And so that was another thing that I ended up um, realizing that there was a, an outlet for that type of travel with music. So using music as a vehicle to travel. So now um, you have courses that are teaching you about music in the world, religion in the world, but then you're actually having courses that take you to other parts of the world so you can experience those things firsthand. And that was an absolutely fantastic experience that shaped my life once again. And I'm not just saying like, oh, it really made an impact on me, but I ended up landing a cruise job after that. I, I realized that was a possibility and I spent three or four winters in a row. So I would come home and play uh, summertime music in Rhode Island and play on the beaches and everything with my steel pan and which was also introduced to me at Butler University and then I got a cruise gig and I played in the jazz trio there and eventually the show band and a little bit on the steel pan and I traveled um, everywhere from Hawaii to uh, Ephesus actually <laughs> and Aruba up to um, you know, well, I guess the Caribbean's just the Caribbean, you know, as far as there's, there's a lot of places I could name. Um, but having the, the experience at Butler opened my eyes to the fact that that was an, an option. And I took that option. And then after a couple of years, I had so much work in Rhode Island again, or in New England, I play anywhere from DC up to Maine on a, on a reasonably regular basis. Um, and so I, I had to stop going out on the cruises because I was trying to maintain a stable life in an apartment and relationships and everything at home. And, uh, but in all of those things, I was able to see, you know, I think I've been to over 35 countries now and I've been able to see religions and music sometimes coming together, sometimes completely separate. Um, and that was really inspirational and really a throwback to what we were studying back at, at Butler University. Yeah, the, the core curriculum. So I actually just finished, uh, yeah, just in the nick of time to uh, uh, leave it in somebody else's hands at this uh, really challenging time for, you know, any part of the curriculum, but, you know, um, figuring out how many sections we need for incoming classes and doing things related to the core curriculum. But I uh, spent three years uh, directing the core curriculum of Butler, and now I'm back in the classroom uh, much more frequently and so getting to teach some things that were put on hold for a while but it was actually I took a break of about 13 years I think from teaching that uh, course on China and the Islamic Middle East and then came back to it and it was so exciting to do it because I, I, I'll bet when you took the course I probably said you know like clip clip news article relevant news articles out of the newspaper or something like that and of course now it's like blog about it you know read about it it's like there are videos you can get news from there but in english you can um, get all kinds of things it's you know uh, teaching even a course like that is so different now in all kinds of exciting ways but, we had a really great experience in gospel of john our homework was to post on wikipedia right. and we actually got the chance to shape the article right yeah i remember thinking that it was a, a lot of, cause it was pretty new to me. I mean, the internet was scary still back then. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to write in whatever scripts this is. You know, I still don't, um, <laughs> but that was a really, uh, that's the only time I've ever seen a teacher do that personally. So that was really cool. And I'm still trying to get students to contribute. Uh, I think it, it helps them understand what Wikipedia is, which I think is important because sometimes you use it and don't really get what it is and how it works. And right. Uh, 
because you know the internet is still scary but in other ways <laughs> yeah less daunting as a technology it's become a bit more familiar but there's a lot of strange stuff out there and um students you know even have taken one course in a, a subject that's gone into a bit of depth may know more about that topic than you know half the people who are editing that or contributing to that wikipedia page and so yeah it seems like a good thing to do yeah yeah so let's talk about uh, this project that you started, which brings together some things that I've only really started, you know, brings together two longstanding interests of mine, but which have been mostly separate um, in a variety of ways. I have a longstanding love of music and I have a longstanding uh, love of interest in uh, scripture and the Bible. And the two have intersected in a variety of ways, but not not formally and not often and not with any kind of concentrated interest. Uh, but as you said, just recently I've started teaching a course on the Bible and music. One of the things I love about Butler and that's been wonderful for me is on the one hand, it's pushed me outside of my normal areas to stretch myself and learn new things. But on the other hand, it's given me a chance to take things that I love and find interesting that are not right smack dab in my area of expertise or an area of formal training and yet to explore them and work them into courses in some way. So do things on religion and science fiction, do things on religion and music. Uh, and there are a number of things that I'm doing that I think are interesting and fun, but one of them is teaching a course on that. And I'm actually working on, uh, well, when I say working on, I'm in the very early stages of <laughs> starting to uh, begin to work on putting together uh, some kind of open, open source, open access, uh, Bible and music textbook, right, which I want to make as a resource. Because one thing I'm excited about is that you can put together a textbook that actually embeds the music in it, if that music yeah. is in the public domain, if it's available, right? So it used to be if you get a, a textbook on this kind of topic, anything to do with religion and music, you know, maybe there'd be, maybe there'd be a CD in the tucked away in the back, right? And you have to put it on and flip through to track whatever, right? In the old days. Uh, now there might be an accompanying website, but you're reading and that says, you know, listen to this on the website. But why not have a, a digital book or a web-based a web textbook that actually, you know, the video is right there and, you know, you click play and then you keep reading and it continues playing or something like that. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And so when I saw that you have this project, Songs of Scripture, the word of God said to music, I said, okay, we got to, we got to talk about it. And if we're going to talk about it, let's record the conversation and let other people listen in. So let's start at the beginning. How, how did this project come about? So um, it, a little bit of kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> last year, and it's, you know, tracing back, it's really interesting to see how God has given me the pieces to start doing this. And one of those pieces was, you know, an education in music. One of those pieces was using the technology that goes with the education in music. Um, one of those pieces was a lot more painful. Um, last year I was playing in, uh, well, in Massachusetts, but I was performing and a thunderstorm rolled through and I woke up in the air and then landed. <laughs> And I was shaking and I was like, I don't know what just happened. And I'm like looking around and someone goes, oh, did the thunder scare you? And I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> you know? So what happened was uh, I was touching a computer during the performance and I felt this shock go th from my fingers through my arm, out my body um, or through my body, I guess. And my brother-in-law, who's an electrician, told me, well, you didn't get electrocuted because if you were electrocuted, you'd be dead. You know? <laughs> so I was like, thanks for that comfort. But um, I, I'm going to call it that I wasn't officially struck by lightning, but lightning struck within a few feet of where I was standing and went through the computer. And, and um... so I got up and tried to play for the rest of the job and I couldn't remember. Now I, I was playing music that I had written and I was playing music that I had performed hundreds of times from memory without any sheet music in front of me. And I have about a seven or eight hour show on steel pan that I can play either by ear or from memory um, without 
taking out the, the sheet music and I forgot my own music. And that was the, the way the doctor described it was um, it's almost like having a stroke where the, your brain pathways are separated. And so your memory is temporarily gone for up to a year and most of it will come back. That's, that's what he said. So um, that process was kind of slow at first. I would be driving to a place that I knew how to get to and I would be like, huh, why am I here? Where am I? And it was like on the way to a job I had been doing for five years. So, you know, weekly or, or during the summer or whatever. And it wasn't anything dangerous. It was just my mind was not connecting things. And so that got really scary. Um, fast forward a couple months and I was having a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with one of the pastors at our church. And he had a source material. Um, actually, I don't know if, if you've heard of Harold Burchett, but uh, Harold Burchett has several books. And the one we were doing was called Spiritual Life Studies. And um, he's, I, I guess, pretty much New England-based, but he he's he was in and out of our, our church circles when he wasn't traveling to other churches and, and relocating um, in his ministry. And so we were doing this study and he has every chapter of the study has a memory verse. And we got to the first one and I did all the old memory tricks. I, you know, wrote it down a bunch of times and I recited it a bunch of times reading it and trying to take away certain words so I could get the phrases and, um, and then I actually recorded myself because I was having such trouble with, with these verses. And I got back after the first week and I just looked at my friend and I was like, I just can't do it. And he was like, can't or won't? And I was like, can't, I, I literally can't. And I, I was telling him about, you know, he knew about the lightning thing. And <laughs> he said, okay, well, God's gonna reward your hard work. I expect to hear these verses next week. And I went home and I put them to music mm. and I had them memorized by the next week. And it was just like, wait a minute. So the project officially started as my own resource material to learn memory verses. Um, and it wasn't really for anybody other than me and God as an act of worship. Um, and then for probably like three months and this is right around the time so that was in february of this year so february 2020 um and covid was just starting to to get talked about and then in march just my industry shut down entirely and no students and you know other than zoom students and um no performances and so i had a lot of time and and as a composer I never have a lot of time. So I just compose when I have time. That's, that's what I do. Um, or I practice. And so I sat down on my computer and I was like, well, let's say, let's say the study has, you know, 12 or 13 verses that I have to memorize. I'm just going to write those into song now. And so I started using my time, no idle hands, you know, I just mm -hmm. wanted to work. Um, and if I'm not getting paid for this work, it's still going to make me a better player, better composer, better musician. I'm going to learn from the process and, and it's rewarding in its own way. And I think that it honors God. And so I did that and then I didn't stop and COVID didn't stop. And I had, I think I had $25,000 worth of cancellations at once, like within, within a week or two for the year just call after i got three calls on one day telling me like hey we're canceling our event we don't need your band we don't need your solo act we don't you know and i was just like wow this is crazy and the, the first couple of them i was like okay well i'll deal with this and then as it kind of rolled out of control i was just like god provides <laughs> and so i had to trust not i had to trust but i chose to trust and he's proven himself again and again, um, which is really interesting because this is the year that we ended up debt free. So with, with everything that's going on, you know, we chose to just keep making advance payments on our car and everything. And so we are 
officially debt-free for now. We don't own a house yet, so we're expecting new debt at some point. But, um, but God has provided more than we could have imagined. And in the process, um, a couple things happened with the, the scripture songs. And one was uh, a couple people started sending me verses and just kind of, hey, I'm thinking about you at this time. Here's my prayer for you during, during COVID. I know that your industry has been affected. Um, and so I would get a verse and then I would say, hey, that seems like a good song. <laughs> and in the same thing, I was doing a lot of reading in the Bible because I had a lot of time to do it. And I would be reading and I would have, I would be reading in melody, which was kind of, it's the first time that's really happened to me. Um, and I'm not like, oh, it was so magical. Like it was, you know, I, I just, I was so immersed in music at the time. And um, so I started notating everything I could, putting charts down. And before I knew it, I had over 50 songs <laughs> since March, uh, since February, really. I think I did like two in February, but, um, and then that kept going on until the summertime kicked back in and people started doing outdoor events and I was able to get some work again. Um, and at that point, the Songs of Scripture project kind of slowed down. That doesn't have any, uh, I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna end as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to keep doing it as long as uh, I have there's like 31,000 plus verses in the Bible. I'm pretty sure I can keep writing music to them. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of how it started. And now back to you. I don't, I don't want to monopolize all the. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, you're a guest. You know, I'm on, I'm on all my podcasts talking at least a little bit. And so it's really the person who I'm talking with that really ought to be doing most of the talking um, <laughs> in most instances. Uh, yeah, I mean, the relationship between music and memory, I think, is an important one. I think even, you know, in, you know, things like, you know, the, you know, um, the Psalms, you know, some of them, you know, like retell stories that are also in, you know, other parts of scripture. And, you know, the song would have helped with memory. Uh, some of our earliest uh, fragments of, you know, tradition that are embedded in the text when they eventually get written down are probably things that were passed on through singing and that's how they were remembered so well right um, things like the you know the song of Moses and the song of Miriam you know those may go back earlier than the the writing of the text uh, and so you know music both as um, a source of our memory but also as a an aid to it is fascinating and you know thinking thinking about what what happened to you I, I know there's a project you mentioned uh, Tim Brimmer and he was actually involved in a, a project uh, I'm not sure whether you heard about this since I think he started it after you left, but it was uh, working with patients who are suffering from dementia mm -hmm. and putting together playlists of music from their, from their youth. Yeah. And, you know, people who were completely unresponsive, I mean, their faces would light up and things like that as it was connecting with something that, you know, was there in their memory. It was there, you know, maybe, maybe not something they could normally access, but the music somehow got through. Right. There were um, a couple of instances that I've seen firsthand. One was a, a guy that had ALS and he'd been stuttering his whole life. And when, whenever he sang, he had a gorgeous voice and he sounded like a professionally trained musician. Maybe he was, I don't know. Um, that wasn't his career, but he never stuttered in song. Um, and then I also had several, you know, family members and well, yeah, basically family members that I know had become unresponsive, but the moment you started singing, they could sing with you, but they couldn't talk. They couldn't have a conversation. So it is, and, you know, going back to the idea of um, the Greek modes and everything, and the idea that music tames the savage beast. And, and uh, there's, there's a history with music and emotions and music and moods and it's, yeah, it's a really powerful, you know, a, a gift from God. <laughs> yeah, so I, the, the things I try to do in my course on the Bible and music, you know, include introducing students to, you know, a little bit about what the music that might have been uh, in existence in 
the time of the Bible, you know, and been, you know, what the Psalms might, might have possibly sounded like if they sounded like other music from that era and things like that a little bit. Uh, but mostly it's sort of the reception of scripture, the interpretation of scripture through music, uh, looking at how people have set the text to music. And we really do focus on settings of the text, which I think is also the, the focus of your project, right? Obviously, there are, sure. a lot more, there are a lot more allusions to the Bible in music. But you know, when you teach a Bible and course, right, there are two things that can happen, or a religion and course. So when I do religion and science fiction, that kind of narrows down because not all religion intersects with science fiction and not all science fiction intersects with religion. And so it kind of narrows into this focal point. Bible and music, it expands exponentially, right? Because there are some texts that have gotten little or no real musical treatment in the history, right? Um, right. You know, I don't think anybody has set all the, the genealogies, right, to music uh, in a systematic way. Although Arvo Pert, right, who has that, uh, has a piece, you know, who was the son of, and it's, um, but there, there, are, there are neglected parts of scripture when it comes to setting them to music. But then you take something like, you know, the Magnificat or the Lord's Prayer, and you could spend a semester and not get to all the settings of those texts, right? And so right. you really have to figure out which ones to focus on. And the perspectives in the creative arts part of the core curriculum, which is what this one, one of the things that this course can count towards, uh, has as one of its requirements that students be involved in the creation of a creative product. Great. And so the thing that students may find daunting is I want them to do something musically with the Bible, right? And so the options I give them are, you know, to write a song if they're capable of doing that, because the fact that students are taking this course indicates that they're not music majors, right? Because music majors don't have to take that part of the core. Some take it anyway, because they're interested in the intersection, but that doesn't mean they haven't been playing an instrument their whole life or doing other things. And so uh, sometimes students have those abilities, but sometimes they don't have anything. And so the other thing I sometimes get them to do is to take a, an existing melody and adapt the biblical text to it, right? Sort of like was done with the metrical psalms or things like that. And so there are lots of things that one can do at this intersection. And you know, creating resources for people to, to learn, to memorize. I think there's some interesting questions like which translation of the Bible do you work with for this project? You know, or do you use more than one depending on which one really grabs you? And then what are, some, what are some of the things that tend to help? I mean, does any music help with memorization or does the music have to do something in particular in relation to the text in order for it to really work for that purpose? And so those are some of the questions that come, come to my mind, which I think, you know, I'll probably let students in my course listen to this podcast and say, you know, here are some things you might think about as you're thinking about setting the text to music. Yeah, so let's work backwards. You had just yeah. said something about the music itself. Yeah. Um, I think that in Western music, which is, you know, generally what we're exposed to, um, repetition is really solid. Uh, one of the things that we see that went back to Mozart and Haydn and um, they were working with an audience who couldn't take their records home. And so they had, you know, 30 minutes or 40 minutes to sit there and say, I want you to remember this. And so they would do, you know, what we think of as verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, um, started with that kind of, well, maybe didn't start there, but was really uh, accented. <laughs> And even in the ending of some of those symphonies and everything, you get that idea of like five, one, five, one, five, one, five, one. Like you have the idea of like, I'm just going to keep bringing you back home on repeat so that when you leave, you're like, oh man, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and um, so a lot of that interaction that we now have in our popular music started symphonically. Um, and I think that the church itself which was so responsible for music and the idea that uh, thirds make up chords. Um, thirds are the, the Holy Trinity, you know, that's, the, that's where they get that. Um, 
And so certain intervals were more important than others and they drilled it into our heads by letting us hear it over, you know, years and years of um, cumulative music and everything that came before in, inspires now. Um, but I think they also had the trouble of how do we make this memorable? And there's plenty of chanting monks songs that sound the exact same to me. Um, there's plenty of like, you know, you want to talk about how many verses have been written. I'm pretty sure the Torah has an entire uh, repertoire. You know, the, there's the Catholic church has tons of music that I will never find. I, like personally, I, I don't have the lifetimes to, to do the work to catalog which scriptures have been set by which composers for which, you know, sects of religion. Um, and on top of that, we had, well, you, you know this, but in the Bible, they didn't have recording and, and in you know, <laughs> recording is fairly new. So the thousands upon thousands of songs are lost um, so there are sources that I've seen where they're like, Hey, we're going to do a song a day. And so they pick a verse and they do it. And some of them are from, uh, some of them don't use instruments because they're from a, a religious tradition of doing everything vocally. You know, God gave us our voice as an instrument. And I think that there are times when those songs are beautiful on their own. I've seen some where I'm just like, oh my goodness, I could never be that good of a musician. I've also seen some where I'm like, I can't follow your patterns. I can't follow your key signature. I can't follow, you know, all of the things that I expect in music. So as far as the memorization, um, there are things that I use to help me get to a point. Um, one other thing about like modern pop music um, I just transcribed a song that I've liked for years, not for its content, but for its uh, melody and energy. And I wanted to try it on Steel Pen. And Kanye West has a rap in the middle of it. So he's like a guest artist on this recording. And I said, well, if I'm doing this, I'm doing this, right? So I transcribed Kanye's rap for Steel Pan and it did not work out that well. Um, <laughs> it was fun. And it was tricky, and there's a lot of things that the voice can do that I wasn't able to portray on paper. Um, but pop music in general, you know, for the last few decades, has had a lot of repetitive notes. And melodically, I don't think repetitive notes help me see the overall picture mm. um, when I'm thinking of, of a memory song. So for me, I like to see steps. We talk about music in steps and skips and leaps and um, the, the intervals between each. You don't want to go crazy because then you're not singable. You want to pick things that people can naturally sing. Um, but you also, I don't want to rely on one note being the only thing that somebody sings because the pitch shouldn't be important. I think the pitch is important too. So often where I start, I actually think about how does the song sound or how does the, the verse sound, um, whether it's one verse or a full passage, how does it sound when it's spoken, when it's read by somebody, maybe by me, maybe by somebody who's way better than me um, at reading. And so I use an app I don't even know what it is. The Holy Bible app, or maybe it's just the Bible app, U version. There's all kinds of oh, logos on this no. thing. Um, <laughs> so I use that app uh, to listen as well as uh, what I'm reading. So I like to read from paper, but I like to listen. Uh, paper doesn't really sound as good as the guy's voice on there, you know? Um, <laughs> so when I listen, and read, I might get something out of it more than if I just read or just listen. So I'm using more than one sense to really focus in. Um, 
if I listen to how somebody reads it and then I read it my, myself and I come to kind of a consensus and, and bring the two together, it allows me to decide what the rhythm might be. So I might even write a rhythm before a melody. Um, at the same time, there are times when a disjunct sounding melody is why I remember something specific. Mm -hmm. So there are songs that I've written where I'm like, man, I would get, you know, scolded heavily by <laughs> somebody, you know, a music professor, if they, a composition professor, if they saw this, or these chords don't work together, or this transposition doesn't work in the way that we expect. And, you know, why do everything that we're, you know, that we expect, some of it to, to really make it memorable, we have to be brand new. So there's both the sense of new and familiar that we need to kind of grasp onto. So that answers, I think, part of how I go through the music composition process. Yeah, thank you. And, and I, I, I do actually use you know, like some of the history of music, you know, some older music and, you know, which often to students sounds, you know, very boring or all sounds the same because, you know, our ears, as you started with, become accustomed to certain sounds, certain intervals, certain progressions of chords, things like that. And it's, it's doing things that are at least a little bit different that makes it seem sort of new and fresh to us. But if it's not, if it has none of the structure and none of the familiarity, then we just feel kind of lost at sea, you know, and it's, right. it's amorphous and it's certainly not memorable, right? I mean, I don't know that anyone has ever heard uh, a sort of a, a classic sort of um, piece in you know, sort of the, the serial, uh, atonal style or something like that, where you'd say it's memorable, right? Like you kind of go away with the memory like lodged in your head the way it would if it had there's a special, there's a special class of people that can do that. I think uh, Dr. Kleppinger, Stanley Kleppinger from, from when I was at Butler, he, I think he moved to Nebraska or something, but he got so excited about that kind of music, you know? <laughs> yeah. And there, there's something, you know, there's, I'm not talking about whether one can appreciate it. I'm just talking about sort of it's, it's memorability, you know, yeah. like the brain naturally, you know, things that are too repetitive, or have no repetition, you know, are at these extremes that are, I think, less likely to lodge and become an earworm than something that falls at this kind of happy right. space in between them. And one of the things that I emphasize to students, because uh, sometimes in the core curriculum, students are taking a course and are like, yeah, I'm not doing it, I'm not musical, I don't do that, you know, or I'm not interested yeah. in China or the Islamic Middle why do I have to take this course? Kind of thing. And so I often emphasize that a lot of the same things have to do with uh, speaking, as have to do with singing, have to do, you know, texts and music. Uh, some of the same points you made about repetition, right? If you look at the biblical text, sometimes there are rhythms and cadences, there are repetitions of phrases, parallelism, all these things that help people in a time when most people were engaging with these stories, these uh, passages, not as written text. Even if they were engaging with the written text, it was because somebody else was reading it, right? right. So it was part of a literate minority. And so repetition, things like that were crucial to it being becoming familiar to the point of it being remembered. When you have the text and you are in a literate society, repetition becomes less important than a text from the ancient world might see. It's like, why does it keep saying the same thing? It's like, well, because this is from a different time and a different, had a different use to it. Uh, people, people reading, right? People speaking publicly uh, need to use their voice in the same way uh, as a vocalist does singing if they want to be heard over a long, loud di a long distance uh, or over a crowd, but also intonation matters, right? Mm. The most painful experience is when the, the, the waves no variation of sound, yeah. right? Whether yeah. speaking or singing. And so there's, there's something that I think, you know, intersects with memory, but just intersects with what we enjoy listening to, whether right. it's your song. Yeah. So um, you talked about repetition and memory. And one of the cool things that I did, not every, pro every song in the project has been the same style by any means. You know, like sometimes I'm writing country music and I've never enjoyed country music in the least, save for maybe Johnny Cash, you know, but um, it, 
just the way that I've been writing has been not my choice sometimes. It's been more of what is working. And there's, there've been a couple songs that I've written in the projects that either there's a call and response, which I think really helps you memorize. And so that was a tool that I used for certain parts. Um, or there's, so that, that could be split up in, in like two parts of a congregation, you know, um, or there's a line that keeps coming back. Like his loving kindness is everlasting mm -hmm. is, is one of the ones that comes up repetitively. Um, and so the repetition or, and, and that's where, you know, I'm going to kind of direct this in a, in a way. And I do want to get back to the translations that I use. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes when I'm writing, I feel a little bit of a responsibility. And that's scary because, you know, I'm working with a text that is holy. You know, this is not my, these are not my words. And this should not be Aaron Cody's will. This should be God's will being done. Um, and Aaron Cody isn't trying to become famous for songs of scripture. You know, Aaron Cody is trying to put songs of scripture in front of you so that you can worship God um, and that God can be honored. And so at first, you know, I, I've written over a hundred instrumental compositions and that experience, that's one of those things that like when I'm saying that God kind of lined up my life in a way that now it's being useful to him, you know, um, that experience taught me a lot, but it also taught me that I'm not a very good lyricist. And so this seemed like a no brainer of a project. Like I can use the skills that I do have to utilize the lyrics from a source. And therefore it's not my, you know, it's to no credit of my own. And that's been really special for me because it, it's the idea of letting go and um, letting God take it from there, you know? So that's, that's been an amazing experience. But at the same time, there are certain segments of the Bible where it's not like I want to change the words, but it's, what do I focus on here? Um, what is the most important part of this passage? Is it Paul, an apostle of Christ, dot, 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 you know, the, the salutation, the, the greeting of, of his letters? Um, and so recently my church uh, leadership commissioned a work and, and it went along with the Romans uh, series that they were preaching on. And the song itself had to take text from, I think Romans one verse five. It, yeah, I think it opened up with the text from verse five, but in an abridged way to set verses two, three, and four, because what Paul was saying was that Paul was called to be something, not that I was called to be something. And so in that moment, I had to change the project for a minute because I've really just done mostly verbatim scripture. And they were saying, hey, this is what we're hoping for this song. This is the direction we have and that we should be you know, edifying each other and everything, but um, without changing the message, how can you <laughs> change it to, you know, to go in a nice package? And that was uncomfortable because now I have to write the word adapted next to the, the verse at the top of the page, which people do all the time. But my intent with this project is God's words, not my words. Mm -hmm. And so working with a pastor on that helped because I was still saying it's not my lyrics. It's, you know, what does the song actually need to say? Um, and that opens another thing. Uh, the church also, when they found out I was doing this project and we had to do a virtual vacation Bible school program this summer. So the kids couldn't be on site. We actually went through and did a bunch of kids songs. So that's back to the translations. Um, the NIV granted me a legal permission to use up to 25 verses in song verbatim for two years. So I'm 
I still have a year and a half left. The New American Standard Bible and the Lachman Foundation allowed me to use their song, uh, their text in song, I think it's up to 10 verses. Um, so there are limitations on what I'm legally allowed to do. And I try to respect that to maintain my license. And then the King James Version outside of England, you're allowed to use it um, because it's public domain mm -hmm. in America. But I think Oxford owns it or something like that specifically. Um, and then I found that our pastor at my church likes to use the ESV for, for certain things. I don't have a license for them yet, but I'm considering applying for one so that I can use it. And all of those are currently being operated as, um, I don't know what the, the official term is, but I'm not monetizing any of this. So all of this has been for the glory of God to be used however he needs it and however the body of Christ needs it, however the church needs it. Um, so the songs are actually available in print music form for free on the website. They're all downloadable, um, which gets me to a different point that I should say, which is I am a percussionist. I am steel pan is my primary instrument. 99% um, of what I've recorded has been for use of demo only. Um, because people don't, don't read music as much as they used to. So they're coming to me and saying, I really love the project you're doing. I don't know what any of it sounds like. Can you make a recording? Hmm. So I think I have something like 68 songs on print music and not as many recorded because um, it takes a lot of effort. And I'm not a singer. I'm not trained in singing. And so I'm kind of, there's been a, a pride of a musician versus the usefulness of the project battle, which I'm like, I don't want you to think that these songs are for a record. These are not for you to listen to and say, man, these songs are terrible. These are for you to listen to and then say, I would love to sing this myself. They're, they're meant for other people to enjoy. Yeah. And maybe that should be the, the, the next step and maybe I can uh, spread the word to some people if they, you know, who wants to sing these and make recordings right. of them, right? Um, uh, seems like one of the possible steps. Uh, yeah, I'd be interested, yeah, I, thank you for say, saying a bit about the translations. Is that, if, when it's, if there's like a limit on, let's say, 10 verses, um, is that 10 verses in a song or once you've written 10 verses in anything that you've written, then you're in shaky ground or, you know, I think that's useful for, uh, composers and people think about setting a text to music to, to know and think about, right? You so you, you can apply for different licenses. Um, you can apply for special grant, you know, special terms that are granted to you specifically. So if you want to say, I'm trying to write all of Psalm 119, which by the way, I'm doing in separate songs, eight verses each. Um, but if, if you were saying, I, I want to write, all of this in one work, I think they would, you know, review that and get back to you on it. You know, that's, that's between them and, and whoever's writing it. Right. Yeah, that, that would be a long song, right? Um, For sure. Want, uh, can't see that being incorporated into a single service, but yeah, thinking about setting something like the letters of Paul, you know, never mind a, a genealogy or something like that, right? If the aim is, is memorization or the aim is to highlight you know, a sermon series, right, on particular text or scripture makes for something different, right? You're not going to sing, you know, Paul, an apostle sent right. not by human beings or from a human being as a sort of a, a worship song, an expression of one's own self. Although it does make for an interesting way of reflecting on, you know, sort of authorship and voice and things like that, because we, we usually look at Paul's letters and immediately put ourselves into recipient mode. And of course, we're not the original recipients either, uh, although we find right. meaning in them. But sometimes what's going on in our church is not exactly what was going on in uh, the church in Corinth. Um, and we're, we're usually the better for it. Uh, yeah, I was we have other problems. Good. That's a good example. <laughs> but we rarely uh, sort of are thinking of it as, you know, sort of resonating with the voice of the author 
right, of the, the epistle, as it were, and actually singing those words in the first person might actually, you know, do some interesting things. It would be interesting to see what happens in a, a Bible study after having somebody singing, you know, Paul an apostle, you know, and so on. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I see we're getting towards the end of our time. Uh, definitely, I'm going to look forward to spreading the word about this and looking forward to hearing, uh, hopefully, from people as they connect with you. So what should people do uh, to connect with this project, to connect with you, uh, to follow it, to contribute to it, to use it, to, you know, say a little bit more so that we make sure, I make sure that uh, we draw this podcast to a close in a way that highlights that and make some of those connections. Sure. So I think the first thing is, you know, this project just started. This has so far been uh, a project that I've worked on as a, almost as a full-time job. Um, but with the help of others here and there, um, I am looking to let God use it in whatever way he wants. If you feel led to use it, um, get in touch and that might mean that in the future we have our own recording studio, or it might mean that I never take it outside the walls of our own church building. You know, like, you know, my congregation has been using the project and it's been shared elsewhere and anybody that wants it, it's, it's free use. Um, and it, I hope it helps your worship. And I hope that you're able to, if you wanted to sing or record or anything, then I, I hope that, is something that you'd be willing to share back with us um, because we would love to see how it, you know, this is just kind of the, the ground level of a project that could be used far beyond my own understanding of it. You know, I might never know what's going on with this project in the future or in a different place. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's for God and for other people, for the body of Christ. Um, people can reach out if they're interested. There's a website that is songsofscripture.org. There's a Facebook group, which seems to get more uh, traffic than the Facebook page, but both exist, um, I think, at Songs of Scripture. I don't have Instagram or uh, Twitter associated with it, but mine is at Cody Percussion, that's C-O-T-E Percussion. Um, and there's some cross promotion between Songs of Scripture and my other projects because I work with Caribbean music. So there's there are times where I do an instrumental version of something like the Ten Commandments was a reggae tune that I wrote. And then I played, I sang it for one version, but then I played it instrumentally for another version for a release on YouTube. Um, and there is a YouTube page that I don't think has enough subscribers to actually name officially, but it should be, if you look up Aaron Cody songs of scripture, any of those should come up. And when I, when I uh, release the podcast, you know, I always follow up with a blog post that embeds some links. And so I'll make sure I've got uh, some of those useful links in there, hopefully. And yeah, look forward to talking about this more uh, at some point in the future in a second conversation, uh, maybe as I work further on that uh, Bible and music textbook, or maybe, you know, when I've, uh, you know, depending on what's happening next semester when I'm teaching uh, Bible and music again, uh, maybe get you to do a Zoom appearance or maybe just share the podcast with students. Uh, we'll see, but yeah, I mean, there's so much we have yet to talk about, right? What happens when you take the music for the Ten Commandments, which I assume were originally not music, not accompanied by music, and then turn it into instrumental, and then all kinds of, you know, just fascinating things about uh, the intersection and interplay between music and scripture that um, is, is so multifaceted and so rich that I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we've got another conversation's worth of uh, things to talk about at some point. I'm happy to, to return and chat anytime. Thanks. <laughs> great. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the uh, podcast, Aaron. Uh, it's been great talking with you. It's been great reconnecting and great having uh, just so many mutual interests as well as, you know, shared memories and other things to uh, explore and uh, reminisce and talk about. Uh, look forward to staying connected and seeing uh, future things that happen with this project as well as others that you're involved in. To those who've been listening to the podcast, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, go check out Songs of Scripture and uh, tell Aaron, tell me, tell the world, tell others what you do.
do uh, at the intersection of the Bible and music because there's there's a lot that's been done there that's fascinating, but there's still always more to, that's worth doing, uh, whether for one's own benefit, for a congregation's benefit, or you know for the world. Uh, so thank you for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.